This is Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Joseph Anthony Cress. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Father Joseph Anthony, you are the chaplain at the University of Virginia with assignation at the parish of St. Thomas Aquinas. That's right, that's right. In Charlottesville. And um, you're gearing up for a new school year or you're kind of swinging into a yeah, new school year. It. We're in it by this point. And you have plans, hopes, dreams. Are All there things, things that you're particularly pumped for, things that you're looking forward to? Yeah, so at this point of the year, it's everything's jumping off. Like September is our focus is on Bible studies. So meeting new students over the first few weeks uh, and then getting those students into our Bible studies, our small groups. That's that's our big kind of September push. We'll have a retreat uh, or fall retreats in October. Um, so we'll, we'll hit that a little later in September and things like that. Um, but yeah, the, at this point of the semester, like our big uh, push is to meet students, uh, reach, reach them, but also get them into our Bible studies because that'll be the main kind of contact point for the semester. Like we, we really built our ministry as a relational ministry and the two major relationships are a relationship with God and a relationship with the neighbor. So relationship with God takes place mostly in the sacraments and we have an abundance of sacraments for them. But then it's that relationship in our Bible studies where they build the community with each other and sharing the faith and building and walking and growing in their faith. Um, but also alongside of each other. And so that's that's right now where our main push is, is trying to make sure that those Bible studies are up and running and that we have uh, a, a support to our Bible study leaders, but also constant invitations to all the students that we meet. That we're saying, okay, let's, let's continue this relationship. Let's do so as we grow in our faith together. So that's kind of where we're sitting right now. Um, it's a fun time. It's also, there's a, a beautiful transition. The, the ministry is growing in tremendous ways. And so uh, we have some new staff members that were on board and this is our first semester with them. So making sure that they they feel um, confident and solid in the culture and in the ministry that, we, what, that we're operating in. So there's a lot going on and it's, it's legit. I'm a big fan. That's right. Nice. Um, here at the Dominican House of Studies, That's where, where I teach one course, Hi. Uh, lest I be overwhelmed <laughs> at my duties. Um, no, just kidding. It's great. Uh, I also work for the Thomistic Institute and we're setting up for, we actually had an episode about this a couple months back, uh, a big series of jubilees or a big series of celebrations mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. St. Thomas Aquinas. So St. Thomas Aquinas was born in 1225. He died in 1274 and then he was canonized in 1323. So this Five. year, 2023, marks the 700th anniversary of his canonization. And then next year, 2024, marks the 800th anniversary of his birth. And then the following year, 2025, marks the, no, I'm sorry, it marks, the, I just confused myself. So it was, uh, 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 rewind. Okay, so, so 2024 <laughs> marks, here it is, the 750th anniversary yeah. of his death. And then, there we go, okay, perfect. And then uh, 20. 25 marks the 800th anniversary of his birth. Oh Oof. my gosh. I was, oh. Numbers. Um, I was a math major, but still, I, I'm just I'm just struggling my way I through. I was not a math major. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I see three, four, five. Those go in order. That, that's all I got from that. Nailed it. So well, there it is. At the end of the day, that's all I got from that after having made a mistake. So, um, so yeah, it's a big series of celebrations. I mean, a lot of the folks associated with the Thomistic Institute aren't necessarily going to be at like a conference fetting nope. St. Thomas, but nope. still there's a particular grace that comes from that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that uh, we're trying to channel and instrumentalize. Let's go. So Love that. yeah. I picked up this gesture for those of you watching on YouTube in 
uh, French speaking Switzerland, people always say like it was really intense. Oof. So you can, you can bring that straight to the bank or take that home or whatever proverbial phrase you want. Gotcha. But let's turn then back to, all right, you're talking about your ministerial setting, getting yeah, people yeah. set up in the relationship with the Lord and with each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though, we pose obstacles to the relationship, both with Lord and neighbor. Totally. And, um, you know, you can get at this from different perspectives. Sin would be the principal obstacle. But but yeah. also sometimes it's like a lack of social grace or a social infelicity, which actually mm-hmm. causes mm-hmm. us difficulties and creates tension in those types of environment. And one, one way that people describe this is bis- by referring to it as, as cringe or as cringy. Yeah, yeah. So you hear that, okay, we're thinking in this conversation about how to avoid becoming or being a cringy Catholic or totally. creating cringy or cringeworthy environments. So yeah. lead us into it. What does it mean for something to be cringe or cringy? Yeah, I think um, that that title you hear is like, oh, that's cringe. <laughs> so cringe right now. <laughs> you know, it it's basically <laughs> means I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, whatever's happening around me makes me like, makes my skin crawl. Like, I don't want to be associated with this. I, I want to, I want this to pass as quickly as possible because I, I, I don't feel comfortable right now. And there's a lot of respect that like certain presentations or engagements with the faith can make others very uncomfortable. Now, you know, we, we're not made for comfort in this world. We're made for greatness. Um, and, and that's understandable. But there's also like, it can be a barrier too. And so we have to be kind of aware of that. Um, and so like when we talk about this like kind of cringy side of things is, is like, yeah, like are we intentionally doing things that are uh, the awkwardness, the uncomfortability is not just, oh, I need to, you know, I'm not made for this world or things like that. But is this truly barriers to my relationship with God or maybe my relationship with others and helping them to grow in their faith as well? So I think when we initially talk about that kind of cringiness, it's this uncomfortability, this awkwardness, this desire to get through something, this kind of moment as quickly as possible, because I don't want to be associated with it. I don't want to be here in that sense. Yeah, there's like a sense in which to for something to be cringy, cringy. Um, it's like it begets a secondhand embarrassment. Uh-huh. You know, so when you do something silly or stupid, you know, you're embarrassed totally. and that's first order embarrassment. But then when somebody in your immediate vicinity, even if it's somebody that you're not responsible for, does yeah. something like that, kind of shameful mm-hmm. or embarrassing, you feel that and it's hard not to interiorize that. Yeah. Unless you're really like, I don't give a rip about anything <laughs> or anyone. So it's, you know, like you, f- yeah, you feel it in your bones. So um, there's a sense in which when somebody is doing something like overly extravagant or precious or clearly begetting or clearly belying lack of self-knowledge, you're just like, oh, you just want to crawl under a rock and die. But when we were talking about this episode or preparing for this episode, you were mentioning that a lot of our introductions to cringe as a kind of category or as a phenomenon Mm -hmm. was the office. The office. (laughs) Absolutely. It's, It's something like, you know, we love that that series and that uh that show. But it introduced something into American comedy or American kind of like sitcoms or something that had not been really experienced before and actually didn't introduce it. It like torpedoed it. It leans on it. The entire premise of the office is the, the central figure, Michael Scott, who is just constantly cringe. You know, he's just not self-aware, but at times aware enough. And that's where you're always kind of like, does he realize what he's doing? Does he realize how awful that is? Mm. Or is he just totally an idiot? Because that was like one of the big things in, in comedy before. And it's like you had your comedic relief who was just the bumbling buffoon, the idiot. But there's some guy who has some self-knowledge, extremely. 
extremely well-intentioned, like almost pure goodness. Like there was, he always wanted the right things, but didn't have the self-awareness to communicate that the best. And he was also kind of just so influenced by having other people like him. Like, mm -hmm. would you rather be feared or loved? Well, <laughs> both. I want people to fear how much they love me. <laughs> like, that's like, that sums him up. And, but he, he introduced with like just uh, an as full ambush, this cringe that it was like, yeah, as a, as a spectator, as a viewer of this, now I'm having that secondhand embarrassment by how, kind of embarrassing it is to watch Michael Scott be Michael Scott, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and there's a, there's a real common understanding of that because of how prevalent that, that series was. Yeah. 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 And I think that, um, it also helps us identify some, some key notes of what a cringeworthy action is. So what, you know, Michael is insecure. He yeah. wants so desperately to be loved, to be accepted, um, to be esteemed, to be lauded, whatever. And that causes him to act out of his insecurity in mm -hmm. ways that are just horrifying. Um, <laughs> and the second is he lacks self-knowledge, right? Yeah. You can't see it of himself. And because you can, the dissonance between your yeah. perception and his perception makes it also, ugh. It's like when you watched, I don't know if you watched the documentary, The Last Dance about the 1997, 98 Bulls. Yes. But like about the whole of Michael Jordan's life. So Michael Jordan is a fierce competitor and he takes whatever he can as a way to motivate his competitive drive. But I couldn't help but think while watching a, a few of those episodes, like he doesn't see that this just isolates him from every other human yeah. being, you know? And he's sitting alone in this big house smoking a cigar and, you know, you can't get his wife on camera and his three kids are on camera for like five seconds because he's alienated everybody in his life because mm -hmm. he takes everything as a personal offense so as to motivate a response, but it ultimately drives them all. It's like that, that's another form of cringe because mm -hmm. the, the self-knowledge isn't there and he can't draw the connections between his vice and then his destiny. Um, okay, so then turning back to the office, you have the insecurity, you have the lack of self-knowledge, but then you also have this like very, what's the word, like brazen almost, or just forward leaning self-presentation. Mm -hmm. So it's like he really leans into it yeah. um, in every aspect of the office. And that just makes it all the more painful. Right. Um, and that's so, yeah. where it's, it's kind of like, oh, this wasn't an accident. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're intentionally doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's where it was like, yeah, he leans into that because it's like, okay, we all make mistakes. We all have accidents at times and, and we can kind of do that. But when you watch somebody who's like, no, 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 they've made a conscious choice to say this, to do this, to do whatever it is. It's like, that was intentional, even though the intentions were good, but like he, he did that. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, uh, I want to just, I want, I want to fade away from that. Like, can we just skip through that part? Cause that's just makes me uncomfortable to see that happen in somebody else's life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, something about the office, which is charming is that the office tries for a kind of new sincerity. I don't know if that term comes from David Foster Wallace or if it's associated with David Foster Wallace, but David Foster Wallace is this postmodern mm -hmm. author, but he's also critical of the postmodern genre because he wants to proclaim something of our humanity. And so he's looking for a kind of new sincerity, a new commitment, as it were, to fundamental principles or ideals. So that way we're not constantly ironizing or speaking cynically of our human lives. And you see that at work in the office because totally. whereas yeah. like former yeah. shows like Seinfeld, they end in a kind of incoherence mm -hmm. or they're mm -hmm. not really seeking anything profound at a human level, just kind of hijinks and embarrassments and cringe. Whereas with 
the office, it's there's always a, a kind of move towards a resolution. Yeah. Um, an, an attempt, even though Michael Scott is the most cringeworthy character of all time, that you can see him aim for and other people respond to this desire for genuine human connection. I mean, you you end up rooting for Michael. Like, yeah. You, you want him to succeed. You want him to grow in self-knowledge. You want him to be happy. Yeah. Like that, that's like one of those premises that like throughout the seasons you see, like, what does Michael want? He just wants to be a good family man. And you, at the end, you're rooting for him too, even yeah. though he's provided the most awkward cringe moments that will ever be exist, like experienced. Yeah. But yet you find yourself because of that sincerity there is like, yeah, but I do want him to succeed. I want him to be fulfilled, be happy in all of his desires. Yeah. Which leads us then into, okay, so we're talking about cringeworthy elements of the practice of the faith as we experience totally. it yeah, sometimes yeah. here mm-hmm. in the American church, but we're aiming for a kind of new sincerity, not just to say like, these people are stupid. Am I right? But like <laughs> to help people identify certain obstacles that they might pose to their relationship with God, to others, mm-hmm. to growth in the life of faith in general that might keep them from otherwise being better adjusted. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, all right, you've got virtues on the one hand, like faith, hope, charity, totally. prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance. And then you've got like social graces on the other hand. I want to suggest, and this is a big point of Father Bonaventure's, that social graces are, they're part of the, the same conversation. Yes. That's part of the virtuous life to mm-hmm. be amicable, to be generous, to be liberal with your goods, to be thankful and this yep. and that, like all of those kind of more, um, they're harder to pin down, but kind of like less well-defined social graces. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're part of the story and they're part of how we as human beings flourish because we want to be able to put people at ease. We want to be able to cultivate these dispositions, which help us to engage, engage with what is real rather than getting tripped up by our own, you know, cringeworthy behavior. Okay. So let's then just like identify some ways by which to kind of grow beyond the cringe or heal from the cringe. Um, So one experience I want to highlight is like an over inflated sense of one's own importance. So I think, you know, it's easy to make fun of liturgical examples, but um, you know, people who take the liturgical ministries very like seriously. Okay. That's good. You know, to prepare for proclaiming the word of God from the pulpit in the context of the mass or to sing as a, you know, like member of the choir and things like that. But there's some people that the way that they comport themselves, it's like, woof, you know, so like pronouncing interior T's with such tenacity that you can be heard in every echoey corner of the congregate. You know, it's just like you hear that and you're like, I want to die. Or or like the the singer in the choir who was like, I will now sing with a vibrato so pronounced that you can drive a truck through it. And it's like, is this is this for the glory of God and the salvation of souls or is this for something else? So, okay, what are things that you might recommend or ways that people can identify some of this overinflated sense of self-importance? Yeah, I think one of the things I remember uh, working with one of our students who was helping to teach other students how to serve uh, at the mass. And it was there was this initial kind of push of like be to be precise on everything that they were doing because that precision communicates a respect and a reverence for what that was. Now, when it was pushed too far, it became super militaristic yeah, yeah. and it was just like people are turning on a dime and like their cassock is like flowing with every single turn. And it was like, okay, now what, now we've gone too far yeah. on that. And we're not communicating reverence. We're communicating kind of, um, you know, a theater drama mm-hmm. now. And now the focus is no longer on the sacrament in helping others then to enter into the reverence of the worship. Now the focus is on the individual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's something that we, we can like start to see is like, okay, there are certain things that are very good, but once we start to go too far with it, then the focus becomes on us as individuals and our engagement with it and how then, and the, the struggle with that is it's everybody else's response to said individual. 
Mm-hmm. So if people like like that person, they're like, oh, that's great. If people don't like that person, then it's like, I hate, now I'm so distracted because <laughs> I despise that person and what they're doing. So now you're turning this into a super kind of personalized experience yeah. instead of a universalized encounter with God. You know, and once again, we're, we're talking about um, sacrament aspects of it. Well, I think we'll get to the catechetical or the, the faith and devotional aspects. Uh, and I'm going to loop into the devotional aspects. Uh, some aspects of that is that devotion, the devotional life is a very particular life to the individual. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it need not be ostentatious or even visible. Um, you know, one of the best things, one of the best kind of, um, accolades you can ever give to an altar server is I didn't even notice you, Mm -hmm. you know, and if they did such a good job that they didn't screw up so royally that everybody, but they also didn't make such a dramatic show out of it that they distracted everybody Mm -hmm. from the reality. And I think too, there's a beautiful understanding that even in our devotional life that you should recognize that somebody has a devotional life. Mm Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be totally absent or hidden to the sense you're like, I don't know if they ever pray, but it shouldn't be so showy and ostentatious that others can't pray near you Mm -hmm. or next to you. So I think that's one of the things that like you can get with the over uh, the excess side of it all, that that's where that cringe comes in. And to remember that sometimes in a, in a devotional life, it does need to be very personal. Mm-hmm. It needs to be present in all of our lives, but to then to not like turn around. And I've seen the, the cringe side of people is when they find something that really, really works for them in their devotional life is very important. And it, they get so fervor, the zeal for that turns into kind of demands in that every single person, you have to love this saint because this saint's the best saint. You don't even know your life outside of the devotion of this saint. And you won't even, it's, it's going to be the best. You have to pray this litany like three times a day to the saint. And you're not a good Catholic unless you do. It's like, that's, that's a beautiful devotion. I don't want to take that from you, but you can't force that on anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Maybe, all right, so let's distill some principles. You've got like individual things and communal things. And generally the tendency of Catholicism, it seems to me, is to give preference to the communal. Yes, you yes. Know, so like I'm thinking here of St. Therese who mm-hmm. has this genius for being small, playing her part in the mystical body, kind of getting out of the way and then letting others flourish as a result. Freaking Therese. Rather whatever, than like, you know. you know, dominating the conversation with her own persona. Um, but, you know, so so there's, there's a kind of preference there for the communal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but- you know, you, you need to recognize the place of each. So like you said, the individual in the case of the life of devotion should should remain individual and it shouldn't be imposed upon the communal because the communal should should remain sufficiently open, free, and yeah, like general, I suppose, as to have a universal application. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like, yeah, just to, to know what it is. Are we talking about something that's individual or are we talking about something that's communal and we need to adapt ourselves to that accordingly? And it seems like one of the principles that flows from that is this principle of, Okay, so first we got to cultivate self knowledge. Yes, you know. Yes, so we got to know, like, we got to know who we are, what our gifts and talents are, the place that we occupy in the body, so that we can again play that role and be small. Um, and I think that that cultivating self self knowledge is is difficult. What would you say? What are some means by which we can cultivate self knowledge? Um, I mean, Saint Saint Catherine of Siena was so important with self-knowledge, right? She says, okay, you need to retreat into the cell of self-knowledge because it's there that you encounter Christ. Like this is a a real important understanding so that we can be in relationship with God, right? We come to understand the uniqueness of our own personalities, gifts, talents, and uh, weaknesses and all this because we start to see the redemption 
and the identity of Christ in that moment. So to to go into the self self knowledge and to maybe put forth a lot of effort to figure out who the heck I am is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a very, it's a religious thing as well. You know, it's not just this kind of psychological experience, but it's a, it's a spiritual and, and, and a human experience of that. But also that it's the understanding that my, one of my absolute favorite quotes from John Paul II is that um, Jesus Christ reveals man to himself. Mm-hmm. And so, so too, when we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we come to understand who we are. So if we wanna figure out who the heck I am so that I'm not just this cringy Catholic, that I am self-aware and I know how to engage with others and hopefully lead them closer, help them to grow in their, their faith with God, I too need to be pursuing my own holiness through Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the deeper in union I am with Christ, the more I understand who I am so that I can be in relation with others mm-hmm. and not make them not, not become a barrier to their own faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what that cringiness is, is rooted in. Yeah. No, I think maybe um, to enunciate it by way of like three little principles. First, uh, the first that I would highlight is that God loves us differently. Yeah. So he loves us all by the self same love, but he, he loves us with different gifts and graces. Mm-hmm. And so it's for us to recognize them and to receive them and then to live in accord with them. Um, but if we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, yeah, then we yeah, often yeah. run roughshod of the particular way that God is loving us. Dude, that's a huge point right there. Like that is, that is, that is foundational is like, okay, it's the same love that's applied, but it, it's it's different for each of us. So then I shouldn't be comparing your your love for God, your your experience, your engagement with mine either. Now there, you know, there's always going to be a consistency and there's always going to be tried and true practices in that way. But at the same time, like I also know he loves you differently than he loves me. So I can actually enter into that and support you in that yeah, yeah. without it kind of reflecting on me. And that's like a kind of cringe is like, oh, we we all have to be at the same thing, right? Because that, that's what it means to be a good Catholic is to be at that level. You're maybe further along than I am. So I gotta, I can't enter into that with you. I gotta level up yeah, before yeah. we can, it's like, I can enter into that, whether that's downstream or upstream and still be a, be a self-possessed uh, Christian. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And you have a gift for that. You have a gift as a hype man, yeah. as a Catholic <laughs> hype man, which is awesome. Um, because the competitive spirit whereby you say to another, your gain is my loss. Yeah. It's, it's anti-Christian, right? It's mm-hmm. demonic effectively. Yeah. Um, whereas I think we are in the context of the life of the body, you realize that the strength of one is the strength of all mm-hmm. without it being like weird kind of Marxism, <laughs> but in the sense of it being a genuine participation in the divine life, which is refracted through these different prisms in a way that's glorious when taken together. Um, so I think that that, that, that's again, part of cultivating self-knowledge, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. who we are before the Lord, and then assuming the mantle of our genuine vocation rather than living a vocation to which we're not called. Because oftentimes you'll find yourself, or you'll find yourself before a cringy situation when a person thinks like, it all depends on me, oh, man. But, it, yeah. but it doesn't, you no. know, like it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. Like we could all kind of blip out of existence <laughs> and the church would just churn along. No yep. problem. You know, there might be like a temporary setback as somebody was like, what was the password again? You know, for that <laughs> account. And I'd be like, oh, I died without communicating it. Right. But, but you know, it's, it's just not that big of a deal. Dude, I got to um, write all my passwords down for our, uh, ministry accounts. Now that I think about it, I can go at any second. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So the first is, you know, God loves us in different ways. This yep. mystery of predilection. And the other is we want to live the communal life vigorously. We want to like really engage in it such that there's a genuine back and forth. Like I don't assume the mantle of leader and assume that everyone else here before me are my followers. It's like, no, you have to, you have to pitch in, you have to play Mm -hmm. your part. Um, And in doing so in, in the context of those relationships, your friends are able to reflect back to you who you are, both your strengths and also your weaknesses. And, And friends are able to do that in a way that's, that's really better or 
easier to digest. So I don't know if you have experience yeah, with that. I mean, Christian friendship is is a a lost art, you know, and we can go down the whole kind of social dynamics of why we've lost and understand what friendship is and, and all these other things. But I think that's part of it is that it's this engagement with each other as as a growth in faith. And so to engage in real friendship as a supportive way of our own kind of uh, life with God then kind of takes away that, um, cringiness because then I have the ability to maybe call somebody out and say, Hey, you, you know, I, I noticed that you're, you know, you really struggle with, um, you know, comparison or things like that. Like, I love you. Like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to prove yourself. Like just, just be yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And that's very hard to do with a rando, like, you know, but you can do that within context of friendship. Yeah, yeah. And so that element of like our friendships help to reveal ourselves to each other too. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, Jesus Christ reveals man to himself, but he often works through his secondary causes, which we are the preeminent secondary causes in the, in the salvation of each other. And so we can then help, help reveal each other to ourselves too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that takes fraternal correction. Sometimes that takes like somebody then entering in and saying like, well, maybe you should do a little more of this or less of that and things like that. But that kind of on understanding that friendship also helps to, it holds a mirror up to us. It can be very, very important. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, in the time that we have remaining, just like a final point, the last thought is this, uh, that it's important for us in the spiritual life to kind of get out of our own way. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, uh, I, I always take this line from T.S. Eliot's The Four Quartets, the rest is not our business. So mm -hmm. he, he makes this mm -hmm. description of the theological virtues. He says, wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There was yet faith, but the faith and the hope and the love are all in the waiting. Uh, wait without thought for you or not. So he's like talking about this kind of emptying of ourselves, which, you know, we recognize as the language of humility. Yeah. It's like, we got to get out of our own way because if we're too busy checking our own spiritual temperature or assessing our own spiritual progress or comparing ourselves to our contemporaries or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then, then we create kind of complexity or difficulty in the spiritual life, which needn't be there. Mm -hmm. All that the Lord asks of us is to follow him. Yeah. Right. And we're not going to have perfect certainty that we're doing it optimally, maximally, but that's okay. Provided that we're making use of the different means that he appoints to our salvation, we're, we're going to be able to redirect course within the context of his plan, which itself is provident and good. So I think that like, um, yeah, like we, we just need to kind of get out of our own way. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I think as you were talking, the, the things that I, I kept hearing is like, yeah, we need to get out of our own way and also get out of the way of each other mm. and build upon the understanding of, of Christian friendship as removing some of this cringiness. I think it's super important to actually talk to each other and say like, Hey, what's important to you? Like what aspects of the faith are, are, are you passionate about? Which aspects resonate with you? Some people it's scripture, other people. I mean, we do this all the time in our, in our uh, formation, right? It's a con constant conversation. It's like, oh, are you a scripture guy? Do you do morals? Do you do like dogma? Like what? And the reason why we talk that way is not because we're just trying to figure out like which, you know, doctorate program to send somebody to, because it's like, we want to get to know that person so I can help them. But like, if for me, I'm a big sacraments guy and somebody else is super scripture, then like me kind of just constantly forcing them to say like, you're not, you know, you're not holy enough. You need to level up because this is where it really is. So I think one of the things that we can do is like, okay, we can get out of the way of ourselves, but also get out of the way of each other by getting to know each other. And saying like, which aspects of the faith like are you? Do you want to continue that resonate with you? Because that can support you in that. Mm -hmm. And I know instead of imposing something else, or maybe in the in the 
like the slightest sense suggesting something that is just really doesn't make sense to you, you know? So I think asking those questions of like kind of getting to know the other person, asking the questions, okay, what, you know, what are you passionate about with the faith? What, uh, how do you pray? How do you pray? You know, and those types of things can be very helpful. So we don't come off as this cringy Catholic as saying, you know, what really works for me is like, uh, spiritualized interpretations of like John Denver songs. Like you don't understand how this changes everything with respect to the faith. You're like, I, I don't care, man. Like I, I, it does nothing for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, apropos of, you know, getting, getting out of our own way and getting out of the way of each other. I think that sometimes when people hear that getting out of the way of each other, it makes it sound like we just leave each other alone and then no. we don't actually, yeah, which isn't the case. No. But I think that we, we need to recognize that our our pursuit of holiness can't become an obstacle to another and his or her pursuit of holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so like concrete examples, Father Vincent McNabb, who was a Dominican at the beginning of the 20th century, who was friends with G.K. Chesterton. Yes, he was. Um, he would sometimes, I've, I've heard told, he would sometimes make his Thanksgiving in the middle of the sacristy with his arms extended in cruciform like fashion. But like apparently the sacristy wasn't that big. So people had to like navigate their way around him. Um, maybe he wanted to do it you know, hidden from the worshiping congregation and a sign of humility, but it ends up kind of getting in the way of the brothers. And it's like, you know, what are we doing here? Or maybe a more, you know, quotidian example is say, you know, this is at Steubenville. A lot of people wanted to kneel without the kneeler as like a little penance. But if you're in a row with like a bunch of people in a pew and you kneel without the kneeler, you make it impossible for them to put the kneeler down. So you've just made a decision for other people, which they may or may not welcome you know, and they may come to resent. Mm -hmm. That's an instance of like my pursuit of holiness becoming an obstacle to your pursuit of holiness. Yeah, and I think that's the same thing we were talking about is this is like imposing devotions on others, which is not helpful for them. And so like, I think you have to be really aware that principle you brought up earlier was like, okay, like in in the Catholic tradition, like we've we've preferred the communal over the kind of individual and, and those things because and so you have to be aware of that. Yeah. And that's all we're saying is the cringiness are those who are not aware of it. Yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. the cringe enters in. Yep. Not that you should never kneel without a kneeler for a penance. Not that you should never have personal individual penances and uh, mortifications in your life, but just to have, dare we even say awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard it said that, that holiness is a secret between you and the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, not that we're like kind of guarding it in a spirit of false humility, lest it get out and we be associated with the scribes and the Pharisees, but in the sense that it's not something that we need to over narrate mm-hmm. uh, in the way that you might not over narrate your marriage. Um, so it's like, you know, when you come before people and you say like, the Lord was saying this to me in prayer, that might be something that encourages them. It also might be something that discourages them because yeah. maybe their life of prayer is a little more obscure, a little more hidden, a little more murky. Um, and so it's, it's just good to be conscious of those things. Not that we become super privatized in our exercise of the faith or embarrassed to share it, but in the sense that we need to leave a kind of space for, yeah, a social grace or a social facility that leaves all like, you know, in a position where they can flourish without imposing, like you said, or posing obstacles. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to introduce and initiate that like secondary, uh, would you call it the secondary embarrassments? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So boom. All right. Well, that is effectively what we prepared. Uh, Before sending you on your way, though, we have a couple of small announcements. Uh, You've heard them by this point, but we like to underscore them because repetition is a sign of affection. Um, So first, the Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage is to be held on September 30th here in Washington, D.C. at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. It's going to be a big Dominican Rosary Jamboree. So mass, recitation of the rosary, preaching and teaching, opportunities for confession and processions and things besides. Uh, So you're most cordially invited. Check it out at uh, dominicanrosarypilgrimage.com. I think that's true, but if not, Google it, and then that will be true. 
Um, and then the last thing is our young adult retreat is scheduled for uh, November 3rd through 5th in Malvern, Pennsylvania at Malvern Retreat House. Uh, that's for young adults ages 21 through 33. So you can apply at godsplaining.org. Apart from that, just the normal things. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of Godsplaining. Uh, please do follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and just pump out the likes insofar as they help get the word out yet further. Um, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the description or the show notes. In the same description or show notes, you'll, follow, you'll find links for merchandise and those events that we've announced. So yeah, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning.